Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message from Zoe Church, Los Angeles. Uh, thank you to everyone that likes, subscribes, comments, and partners with us, with our church, trying to get the message of Jesus around the world. This week, you're going to hear an encouraging message. We have none other than Pastor Rich Wilkerson, Jr. from Miami, Florida, in Voo Church, sharing the message, No your worth. I think you're going to be inspired. I think it's going to help equip you on how to understand your worth. Let's jump right into this week's message, encouragement out of the book, Single and Secure. Pick up a copy on Amazon. Come on, let's check out this week's message. Uh, verse 9, this is uh, what Peter writes. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I just love this scripture. And today I want to uh, make my first message. I titled today's message, Know Your Worth. Know Your Worth. This message uh, about single and secure, this is not just for people that are single. I think this is a book and a message that's for all people. You, you are born an individual. You're going to die an individual. And one day you will stand before God as an individual Hopefully you walked in this life with contentment, confidence, and security. Uh, my wife and I, I remember when we were first um, finding a, a house in Miami, my wife and I, we just celebrated 15 years of marriage. Um, many of you have been on the journey with us. You know that we went on an eight-year journey of infertility. And um, four years ago, uh, after eight years of trying to have kids, God gave us our first miracle child, uh, Wyatt Wesley Wilkerson. And this is hard to believe, but since the last time I've seen you, we've had two more kids. Uh, our second born, Wild Wesley Wilkerson. That was a bad name. We shouldn't have named him that because he's truly living up to the name. He's crazy. And um, like, who names their kid Wild? Like, yeah, that's lunatic right there. And... Um, He's, he's amazing. And then our, our, our third child, my favorite child, our daughter, um, her name is Waylon Wesley Wilkerson. And I remember Don Shree and I, we were looking for our, our, our first house after we had lived many, many years in apartments and lofts in Miami, but we knew we were going to have a child. Like, we got to get some more space. And so we went to this little neighborhood in Miami, um, and we found this house, and we were walking through, like, this is going to, this is the house. This is a beautiful house. And I remember seeing um, on, on the windows uh, all over there were these stickers that the house had a security system. I was like, babe, this is a good, you know, we should definitely get this house. It's got a security system. And um, we signed the lease only to discover there was no security system. But how many of y'all know, as soon as I signed the lease, one of the first things that I did was put in a security system. The reason why is because the things on the inside of the house are, are valuable. And many times what will happen is we think that we are secure, but security is always an inside job. Contentment's always an in inside job. Happiness, joy, this is, this is inside work that you as an individual have to do. 
I went over to a friend's house the other day, and I was walking in, and when I was walking in the house, there was this big sign on the fence that said, beware of dog. And so I, I'm kind of coming out, I was like, where, where is this thing, bro? And I, I get inside the house, I go, dude, where's your dog, man? That was like a scary sign. He's like, oh, no, I ain't got no dog. I just, that's just a sign I put on the fence. And I was laughing because I think many times if we're being honest, if we're not careful, this is what we will do. Just because you project security doesn't mean that you possess security. How many of y'all know insecurity is not due to your lack of value. Insecurity is always due to your inability to recognize your worth. I want to remind some people today that God has put something inside of you. Your emotions are valuable. Your peace is valuable. Your personality is valuable. Your soul is valuable. But you have to do the inside work of securing yourself. If we're not careful, we will listen to the lies of culture. First Peter uh, it's an interesting passage to pull from today, but I think it's got a whole lot of context for us that we need to, need to kind of grapple with. Uh, back in 2020, I did an entire collection of talks all on the book of 1 Peter. And the reason why is because it's a short letter, but the letter itself is very, very meaningful. Um, Peter writes to the church during a time when they are being uh, dominated by the Roman Empire. And with the Roman Empire coming, there's all sorts of division, there's all sorts of conflict coming, there's brand new paradigms and new thought patterns, and the church at large is being persecuted for what they believe, but also being persecuted for the way that they were behaving. And many times as you read all of 1 Peter, the call of Peter in that letter is not to go and conquer, but the call of Peter is to stand firm. Not every season is a season for conquering, some seasons are just about enduring. <laughs> And so he writes and he's saying, endure, do not conform, do not become like the patterns around you, don't become like the Roman Empire, don't start thinking like the world. Because the way that the enemy works in your life is he starts telling you little lie after little lie after little lie. And Jesus says, I came with truth and it's knowing who I am that I will set you free. Sociology will talk about two forms of power. They'll talk about a thing called hard power. Hard power is maybe a good example of hard power would be like the police, that they could come in and they could shut you down or they could enforce something on you. I think many times we live in a world that we're, we're really concerned about hard power. But maybe the deeper issue, maybe much more the Roman Empire issue, is this other word that sociologists talk about, which is called soft power. And what soft power is, is soft power is paradigms, it's small doctrines, it's little ideas, it's media, and what they begin to sell you. And a lot of us in here, we, we, like, we're not like, we don't have to be like rocket scientists to recognize some of these things. Like, look at any, um, like, have you ever watched a movie before? And anytime there's a Christian in the movie, they're not cool. <laughs> let's, let's take it a step further. Anytime there's a pastor in the movie, oh my, where did they find this person? Bless you, brother. It's like, who, who is that? But if you even look at like, like multimedia, if you watch like any almost like sitcom or television show today, just look at the way that a father is depicted. He's usually kind of dopey. He's kind of lazy. He's, he's the butt of all the jokes. Well, what is going on here? It's called soft power 
which is coming against family, which is coming against faith. And if we aren't able to recognize it, we will conform and we will fall into the lie of the enemy. And when the enemy lies to you, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. It's not enough to project security. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to possess some security. You're going to have to find some confidence and contentment and peace and courage in this hour. And one of the greatest lies that the enemy is working today is in this category of relationships. And I think the church has not done a very good job because I think many times the church, when it comes to ideas around relationships, we just kind of look at people like, yo, get married. I'll tell you what, you just need to get married. But marriage doesn't solve your problems. It magnifies them. I think I'm a, like, 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 it just puts a ring on your problems, hello? There's some married people amen and too much this morning, you know? And, and part of the lie is, is that I, I, need, I need someone. Thank you, Jerry Maguire. I need someone to complete me. And, and it happens. I'll hear it in the church all over the place. Like, we will say things. We don't realize it, but it's soft power coming in. And it's a lie of the world. And it's robbing us of what Jesus already paid for. I, I was... Born in Tacoma, Washington, not, not far from where Chad and Julia used to do ministry. In 1998, my, my parents moved down to Miami to lead um, a small little church. And so at 14 years of age, I went from Tacoma all the way to Miami. Crazy big move. And uh, I did all my high school in Miami. And I really gave my life over to Jesus at 17. I had a real transformation. And um, I wanted to go to school uh, out here in L.A. I was like, Dad, you know, the Lord spoke to me. I'm supposed to go to L.A. But I was like, you're not going to L.A.? Um, I'm sending you to school in Cleveland, Tennessee. Which it's one thing to not go to L.A. It's another thing to be persecuted <laughs> and sent to Cleveland, Tennessee. My God. And I'm like, D I can't, you know. And he's like, you're going. And, um, you know, right before I, I graduated from high school, my parents had got me this brand new Jeep Wrangler. In fact, today I am still driving the same car I got at 17 years of age. I'm a great steward, ladies and gentlemen. It's the same Jeep Wrangler, and it was, it was so cool. At 17, my mom was like, she got me this car. It's black on black, 2001, special edition. Not a big deal. But, like, I'm like, I'm into it, Brock. I'm like, I'm like this, is, this is everything, this car. And so I'm, I take this up to Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm like, yeah, I got this awesome ride. But when I, when I come in, I'm, I'm from the city. You know what I mean? Like, born and raised, county of Dade, okay? And so, like, shout out to Trick Daddy. I don't know about that. But um, I'm like, this is like, I'm a I'm city guy. I'm not that guy, you know, in the country. And so I rock up with this Jeep and these dudes come up to me and they're like, hey man, you ever uh, take that thing mud? I said, what, excuse me, what language was that? <laughs> oh man, you ever take that thing off road? I was like, no, I try to keep it on the road. Um, <laughs> like, well, let's take, take, take that thing off road, man. Um, I, I don't know what you're saying. And they convinced me to take this thing off-road. True story. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so I get out there, man. We're having fun. You know, like we're going through the dirt and the mud. And all of a sudden we come to this, this, this like, I don't want to call it a puddle. That sounds way too, it was, it was a ravine. It was a ditch. I don't know. It was, a, it, it was a carving in the ground that had water in it. And one of these guys like, man, I think you could take that thing through that thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, 
you know, how many of y'all know, like, you know, who you hang out with, you become like, you know? I'm like, let's do it, man, let's go! I got a twang now, and so I hit this thing as fast as I can, and I hit into this ravine, and as soon as I hit it, I'm stuck in the mud. Like, I'm just, it's just stuck. Like, my, my brand new Jeep, I'm like, oh, my mom's going to kill me, you know? And I'm stuck in the mud. I'm like, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't, I can't get out. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. And so we're trying to figure out a way to get it out. And um, this is when you know you got just not good friends. The dude's like, I got a plan. I'm like, what is it? And he, he, goes, he goes to the back of his truck, and he pulls out an extension cord. I'm like, what, 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 are, we, what are we plugging into, you know? He's like, no, I'm going to pull you out. I'm like, that's not going to work, you know. But how many of y'all know you're desperate when you start going with solutions that you already know are not going to work? So this man hooks up an extension cord to the front of my Jeep to the back of his bumper, and he hits the gas, and you already know what happens. It immediately breaks. It immediately snaps. I am stuck in the mud. The reason why I'm stuck in the mud is because the only way I can get out of the place where I'm stuck is I'm going to need something stronger than what I am stuck in. And the lie of culture is the enemy just wants to keep giving you extension cords. Try this. Try that. I'm going to pull you out. And the great lie is you will only be secure when you finally get a spouse. But friends, there is no spouse in human history who is strong enough to pull you out of your rut. There is no strong spouse strong enough to get you out of the place that you're in. That's the work of a savior. That's savior work. That's savior work. And I wrote this book with that heart in mind, that Jesus completes your order. Jesus fulfills. Jesus meets your need. Those of us that have been married, like, we, we, we know this to be true. Like, my, my wife is amazing, but she's not strong enough. She's not, it's not her job to save me. It's not her job to do the inside work that only Jesus can do. A person doesn't complete you. They compliment you. It's only Jesus who can meet your needs. Here in 1 Peter Peter, as he's challenged them to endure, don't, don't give in to the hard power, don't give in to the soft power. He reminds them of who they are. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You're, you're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. Remember, remember back in the day when you were lost in darkness, but you've been called out of the darkness. You're, you, you're walking in the light. I grew up in church, and so I, I learned this verse with you know, the William Shakespeare edition, a.k.a. King James Version. There's a little phrase there, when you read it there, he says that you are a peculiar people. That word peculiar is an interesting word because it means odd. <laughs> and I want to remind all of us as people belonging to God that we're called to be peculiar. You're not called to live life like the world lives life. I think, I think when you're single, everyone's like trying to stand out and make themselves stand out. We're on Instagram, mm, let me stand out. But the problem is we look just like everyone else. Your relationships should look odd. You should do friendship in an odd way. You should do marriage in an odd way. You should do dating in an odd way. You should do breakups in an odd way. Wait, you don't hate that person, but you broke up with them. I know, I know, but you know what? I just believe there was someone better for them and there's someone better for me. That's peculiar. 
And all of that all comes down to this idea of knowing your worth. Peter reminds them of their identity, reminds them of where they came from, reminds them that they have been brought into a brand new family, reminds them that Jesus completes their order because he wants them to understand that your identity, it indicates that you are valuable. And if you know that you're valuable, you will do the work of securing yourself. Listen, if you knew your worth, you would stop giving people discounts. I told our church a couple weeks ago, I said, know your worth. <laughs> stop giving discounts, add tax. <laughs> Don't settle. Don't settle. God has something beautiful for you. And I'm preaching all over the place here, and I don't even have a timer. Is that timer right there? What is that? What timer am I supposed to be on right now? I'm just having way too much fun. Is it, is, it's 1022 right now, right? And so we're supposed to be done. Like, church is at, this started, started at 930, right? Oh, beautiful. I thought I was in my own 9 a.m. church at home right now. I'm like, we have to be done, like, four minutes ago. Okay, good. Um, I've got 12 points, and I want to go through them. I want to just give, I just want to give, honestly, just two simple thoughts. Two simple thoughts from First Peter here, but just two simple thoughts around this idea of, of knowing your worth. And the first thought is, if you're going to know your worth, you have to value vision over fantasy. You have to value vision over fantasy. So, so important. I think for every category of your life that you should be living by design, not default. And I think we understand the concept of vision when it comes to, like, our businesses. Like, anyone who starts a business is like, what's the vision for the business? But many of us, we don't have a vision for our personal life. We don't have a vision for our relational life. So important that you get vision. Why? Because vision, it all of a sudden starts to create a picture of the future. You now have direction of what you're aiming after, what you're going towards. Vision gives pain purpose. A lot of times, how many of y'all know, like if you get thirsty enough, you'll drink anything in the fridge. And this is what happens in relationships. Like I just, you got thirsty is what happened there. <laughs> Some of y'all picking up what I'm throwing down. Um, it, it's so important that you actually have a standard. Vision creates standards. It creates boundaries. It creates values. Here's what I know. Vision loves the future, but it doesn't despise the present. When you get a vision for something, you're willing to do the work in the present setting. And so when I know my worth, yeah, I'm excited about where God's taking me to, but it doesn't make me underestimate where I am right now. But see, when it comes to relationships, what happens to so many people in relationships is so many of us is that we value fantasies over vision. I don't know what it is. This happens all over in the church, but like love, like we love love. And love makes you do weird stuff, like crazy stuff. I remember I was falling in love with my wife, Dontre. It's amazing, but like none of it is logical, you know? I just want to talk to you on the phone all night. Okay, no, ready? You hang up. No, shut up. You hang up. On the count of three, okay, ready? One, two, three. Are you still there? Oh my God, yes. Rich, you don't understand. We have a song. We, we have a song, man. 
Like, don't, we have a song. No, we, we have the, our favorite color is blue, both of us. Like, I don't, what are we talking about, you know? And, and fantasies be, begin to lie to us. And what I just want to remind some people today, that if you're going to be peculiar, if you're going to know your worth, you're going to have to get vision. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, uh, train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And we know that scripture from the positive sense. Hey, let's get our kids to, 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 to Zoe Church. Let's raise them in God's house. You know, even, even prodigals, they know the way home. That's good news. But God's word will not return void. It is true in the negative sense as well. See, many of us in this room, it's hard for us to get a vision for relationships or even for our single life. It's hard for us to understand our value because we read the scripture, but it's hard for us to actually apply that to a heart because we grew up in a home that maybe there was brokenness, maybe there was toxicity, maybe there was trauma. Maybe you are like one out of two children today that you grew up in a, in a marriage that was broken. And so you didn't see two healthy individuals get along. Or, or maybe you were, grew up in a home where the people, they stayed married, but like you wish they wouldn't have stayed married. It was toxic. There was, there was abuse. There was neglect. Maybe it was verbal abuse. Maybe it was physical abuse. Maybe you watched codependency. Maybe you watched addiction. I don't know what you watched. Here's what I know. Whatever you watched is what you learned. And isn't it crazy that now you are 32 years of age and the way that you were trained and the way that you are raised, now when you're old, you're not departing from the training and the raising of what you had. And part of that big training and raising is that you grew up in a fantasy world. I think two key fantasies, these are, these are difficult, these are hard, but let's just actually think about it for a second because what happens is, is many times we start looking for a different reference point. I know I don't want what mom and dad have. I know I don't want to be like my dad. I'm certainly never going to be like my mother. I didn't have parents. I'm looking now for vision. So what do we do? We have two key fantasies that drive a lot of areas for those of us in the room and those of us online. The first is this area called Disney. Just true, right? Like Disney stories, stories we read as a child, you know, like they lived happily ever after. And, and, and what, what is Disney value? Disney values love at first sight. So we value what someone looks like. And oh my goodness. Um, every story ever in Disney is all about a princess being rescued and Prince Charming coming. So how do we date? A lot of us, we date trying to rescue someone. You don't, but you don't know them, Pastor Rich. Word to the wise, you don't marry someone who needs to be rescued you marry somebody who is already running after their calling, their purpose, their mission. Don't marry a patient. <laughs> marry a partner. <laughs> but we get, we get drunk on love and we have the fantasy. You don't understand. Like, they're amazing, you know. Prince Charming and she needs to be rescued and I'm working on it. And listen... You don't pick someone based upon potential. That, that's how you pick stocks. Just, I know, it's pretty simple, but like, you, you marry someone based upon patterns. They're insecure before marriage, they're going to be insecure after marriage. If they're toxic before, they're going to be toxic after. But we have this fantasy, and so I'm, I, this is what I saw in Disney, so I'm guessing this is how I should apply it to my life. This is how relationships go. But it's not true. 
It's a fantasy. The other fantasy, and this is a really difficult one, I'm not trying to be mean or shameful or condemning. I just want to make sure you get the truth in a day and age where there is soft power lying to you. The other big fantasy that so many of us in this room that are dealing with is this fantasy called porn. That, like, we live in a world that is desensitized. And pornography is lying to you about relationships. It is, it is selling you a lie. And now you don't know why you're broken. You don't know why you're unfulfilled. You don't know why you're unsatisfied. I read a study about millennials that millennials actually have, you know, pornography is, is, is growing. It is a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I think it's a gateway to so much negativity. I mean, just so much negativity. But I read this study about millennials that millennials are actually having less sex but watching more pornography. Why? Because it's robbing you of real intimacy. It's giving you a short-term pleasure, but it's robbing you of the authentic plan and mission that God has. Listen, people are not objects for your pleasure. And the lie of the culture is, oh, but Rich, I don't know them, and it's all good. You have no idea what you're doing to your soul, to your heart. You're using a person you don't even know for your gain. And we just kind of let it go by. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. And what happens? Pornography is telling you little by little that all of relationships are all about how they can make you feel. But it's lying to you. It's robbing you of real intimacy. It's robbing you of getting to know someone beyond the exterior. There's a real soul. There's a real person. One of the great gifts that God gave my wife and I, and by no means do we have a perfect marriage. We've been on a whole journey, but man, we fell in love over the phone. We were long distance, and so it forced us to have conversation. I'm just telling you, man, like, if the conversation sucks, the sex will never be good enough. And pornography lies to you. It gives you this fantasy that, like, it's just all about the exterior. Yo, newsflash, personalities are sexy too. So some of us, we don't even know, but we won't even give someone an opportunity or a chance. We won't even, we won't even try to get to know someone because what we see on the outside, what we see in the flesh. Yo, we are all, we are all dying a slow death. We are all losing the battle with gravity. Like, you want a Prince Charming? You want Sleeping Beauty? You want tall, dark, and handsome? How about trustworthy, determined, and honest? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, but Rich, I don't, know, I don't know how to go get this vision. Actually, you do. But people just don't teach you. You start with God's word, but then watch this. This is so practical. This could help someone right now today who's married. This could help someone today who's single. Vision is always birthed out of frustration. So just take some time today. What are the areas of your life that you're frustrated about? That is God's indicator of what you need to write down like he told Habakkuk and draw up a, a, a vision. So it starts this way. It's like, you know what? Every time I get into a fight with my spouse, I don't like the fact that we yell so loud. Okay, God just gave you vision. Hey, honey, um, we're going to, you know, have more arguments in the future. Um, but let's set a rule that when we argue, we don't yell. That's called vision. Yeah, that's right. it, 
the frustration is actually given to you to draw up a vision. Now you have a vision. You're excited about where you're headed, but you're actually going to do the work in the present. I don't buy into fantasies. I'm not a little kid anymore. I understand this thing's going to take some work. I know my worth. Come on, somebody make a little bit of noise. Don't settle. Don't settle. The second thing I, w- I would say is this about people that know their worth. Because here's Peter. He's like, I want to remind you who you are. I want to remind you of your identity. There's a vision. I've created something. God has a plan for you. Value vision over fantasy. But I would say this. Choose wisdom over experience. This is like, this is not popular in 2022. And at the risk of being very unpopular, but it's true you got to get this. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I'm going to be a person who says, God, I want your wisdom over my experience. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that literally and practically mean? That means feelings friends fantasies are not my truth what is your truth then my truth is a man named Jesus and if Jesus said it if Jesus did it if Jesus believed it then I'm going to take that to be the truth but your friends disagree I know but my friends aren't my truth This is the definition of faith. I don't know what you think faith is. Maybe it's like, I, faith for me is I show up once a week on Sunday, I sing some songs, then Chad encourages me, and I leave, and I just go back into it again. And I'm so grateful for whatever reason you're here. I'm so grateful for however you're watching online, but like, that is not faith. Faith is going, God, I choose your word over my How many of y'all know, I don't want a faith that's determined by my experiences. I want my experiences to be determined by my faith. And the writer says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. The world, you know what the world does? This is the difference between a Christian and the world. The world chases after all these things. But a believer chases after one thing, Jesus. And as you chase after Jesus, it's crazy how all these things are added. Listen, you either seek first, you either seek God first, or you seek God next. Just is. One way or another, you're gonna see, you're gonna see God. Because at rock bottom, how many of y'all know, like, all right, God, I should have been believing you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Rich, what does that mean? I'm supposed to be afraid of God? No, no, no. You gotta get the definition here. You gotta understand the context. The fear of the Lord is actually just having a reverence and awe that God, you are big and I am small. That God, you created this brain, you created this world. I don't understand all of it. I got questions, I got doubts, I have feelings, I have urges, I have sensations, I have temptations, but God, you are my truth. It's the disciples in the boat in the Gospel of Mark and trying to head over to the other side and as they find themselves on the other side before they get there they get caught in a storm they go looking for Jesus where's Jesus they find Jesus asleep on a cushion in the boat 
They're like, Jesus, don't you care? Look, look at this. They're, look at their feelings. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care how we feel? You got to love Jesus. He's like waking up, you know? He's like pulling sleep out of his eyes, you know? Which, by the way, I think that Jesus sleeps in the storm to give you peace that you can rest in your storm. And what does he come out? He just comes out and says, be still. The Bible says that the storm becomes completely calm. What's fascinating insight in that text is the scripture says that when the storm was raging, the disciples were afraid. But then when it says it became completely calm, the scripture says the disciples were terrified. Afraid in the storm, terrified in the calm. Why? Because they met the storm's match. My Savior is greater than my storm. And if I'm going to be afraid of anything, it's not going to be that storm. It's not going to be this problem. It's going to be the one who is in control. Just give me one second, fellas. I'm going to close, I promise. But I came across a study done by the Telegraph in the UK. They were doing a long-term study. And they were trying to discover, they wanted to start with... um, people who had found relationship, but then they wanted to work backwards. They wanted to reverse engineer and say, what did it take to find that relationship? Just their study. This is what the Telegraph came up with. They said that the average woman kissed 15 people, had seven sexual partners, four one-night stands, four disastrous dates, three relationships that lasted less than a year, two relationships lasted that more than a year, fell in love twice, broke up twice, cheated once, and was cheated on once. The average man kissed 16 people, 10 sexual partners, six one-night stands, four disastrous dates, four relationships that lasted less than a year, two relationships that lasted more than a year, fell in love twice, heartbroken twice, cheated once, and was cheated on once. And I read that, and nine times out of ten, I'm preaching that, and I'm encouraging people that God can restore, God can redeem. They, They found love on the other side of all that, and that is the truth. But I just have a higher challenge for all of us today. I just want to remind people about your worth and your value. I do not believe that you have to go through all of that heartache and all of that heartbreak. I do not believe you have to have all of those experiences that you can finally land on something healthy. It's not to shame you. It's not to condemn you. It's to encourage you. It's to equip you. I want God's wisdom over my experience. There's this peculiar story, odd story in the book of, um, I believe it's 2 Kings. I thought I had it up here, but I might have it right here. I want to read it to you because to me, it is a perfect way to close what we're talking about. It's I think it's second kings chapter three i have it as first kings but i think it's second kings maybe someone can check it but either which way i'm going to read it to you and it's the story of solomon who was the wisest king to ever live his whole story is quite odd in and of itself solomon who inherits his father's kingdom he asked god for one thing he says god give me wisdom many people preach that passage but there's a little contingency about that passage. Solomon says, God, give me wisdom that I might lead your people. 
it's not just wisdom it's wisdom connected to God's heart which is people so God give me wisdom in my relationships not just so I can be wise but that I can steward people so God gives them wisdom there's all sorts of beautiful he wrote the Proverbs you can go read that that's, that's great Instagram uh, Twitter content right there if you want to be real pithy in 2022 Proverbs don't even give them credit people think you're great you know there's this really peculiar story. I think it's 2 Kings 3. These two women, they're prostitutes. They both get pregnant. They both have sons. Three days apart. They go to sleep one night and one of the prostitutes, one of the women, she falls asleep on her son and he suffocates. He dies. Well, she's kind of shady. She wakes up and sees that her child's dead and so she goes over to the other woman and she switches the kids. You gotta read your Bible. There is crazy stories. And they wake up in the morning, and the woman whose child did not die is like, whoa, whoa, you, you switched, I know my kid, you switched our kids. And the other woman's like, no, I did not switch our kids. What are you talking about? And all of this drama, it gets brought before Solomon the king. And he has to make a decision. Who is the rightful mom? And they're going back and forth like, no, that's my baby. No, that's my baby. That's my baby. Like this, this is more than Jerry Springer, I promise you. This is like, whoa. And this is what Solomon says. Solomon says, bring me my sword. Which you're like, this guy's not very wise. What's he doing? He goes, bring me my sword. And they usher out and they bring out his sword. And he says, lay the boy in front of me. I'm gonna cut this child in half and both of you can go home with a half. All of a sudden, the mom who's not the real mom, she's like, that's a good idea. Cut him in half, I'll take my piece. The real mom says, no, no, no. No, please don't kill this child. She can have the baby. She can have the boy. Just don't kill him. And instantly Solomon said, I know the truth. I know who the real mother is. Give him back to his mom. You say, Rich, why are you telling this story? I'm telling you the story because there's a lie of culture. And the way that you counteract the lie of the culture is through the word of God. see this I don't know what the truth is there's two options I've had my experiences I've been hurt people let me down the church has made mistakes I've been offended I've been broken I don't know the truth give me my sword called the sword of the spirit this according to hebrews is sharper than any double-edged sword and when you don't know what to do you do not rely upon your experience you do not rely upon the culture you grab your sword and you draw a line in the sand and god will reveal the truth i want your wisdom god for my experience know your worth you are a child of God I don't care how many mistakes you have made I don't care how many times you have let yourself down because that's the real thing right there we always mad at people but yo ain't nobody lied to me more than me ain't nobody let me down more than myself but God says you are fearfully 
wonderfully made. All the days ordained for you were written in my book before one of them came to be. Don't settle. Be peculiar. Be odd. How, how come you got so much joy? How come you got so much contentment? How come you have so much peace? It doesn't come from a person. It comes from Jesus. I know my value. I know my worth in him. Lord, I thank you today for your people.